0: All right. Okay. I think we're on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. I have a special guest with me, Teen Sheng, if I, pronu- I pronounce that correct. Is that, is that right? Close
1: enough. Yeah, Sheng. S-H-E-N-G. <laughs>
0: yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh. So um, we're, today we're going to be talking about the um, Wall Street bets, the GameStop short situation and everything like that, which might seem like it's kind of... Uh, old news to some people, but there's a bigger kind of conversation around, well, what what exactly happened? What does it mean? Where are we going from here? Um, you are an American working in the finance industry, so you have quite uh, uh, detailed information about this. You've been following it very closely also. And we've been chatting over the past few days, and it's been interesting to see you saying, I think this is going to happen next. And it's pretty much all played out exactly like you said. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? When we're, when we're finished uploading, there's probably a bunch of other stuff is still going to happen. This isn't fully played out, but it's going to be really interesting uh, to talk about this. So uh, beforehand, um, how about you just give um, a brief introduction uh, to yourself before we get into the uh, meat of the discussion.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, like most people these days, I have sort of an online. There's, I can introduce who I am online and who I am in normal life. Uh, like you okay. said, I work in, you know, I work in the finance industry, so I've always had, you know, I've been following it because of that. I used to work. I, I'm in private. I'm in the private sector now, but I used to work at the SEC. Uh, and okay. so I sort of have like a regulatory background as to like probably like what they're thinking over at the government about all of this. So, you know, and I also, uh, you know, am terminally online as well on Twitter. And uh, we also have, me and, me and me and some friends put together an online publication and podcast called Plan A. Um, you can find it at planamag.com and there's a podcast called Escape from Plan A. And we've we we we've talked about Wall Street bets. Um, we're not always focused on finance and stuff, but we have been talking more about economics and, and things like that.
0: Yep. Right, right, okay, yeah, so what I'll do also is I'll leave a, um, a, a the, the description in the description, I'll put the link to your publications and your podcast so everybody can follow you um, who may be interested. So maybe a good place to start. I think most people have a general idea of um, what exactly happened, but maybe
1: we'll talk about that first about okay, what is it exactly that happened that everybody's talking about? Right? I mean, I think that the by the time the media caught on to this story, it, it's it seemed like you know this was something that just sort of like spontaneously happened mm-hmm. but if you follow you know what what was going on with gamestop uh, you know before it became this speculative frenzy uh, there were people that were going into this stock actually saying that they thought it was undervalued so when that when it first started like months ago six months ago the stock was at like four bucks five bucks there were people on Wall Street bets which at the time was a small much smaller, uh, forum than it is now. I mean, it groups it grew to like eight point five million people over the course of a few days. But at that time, you know, and I wasn't around for this, but I, looking back, there were people who were trying to invest in GameStop because they thought it's too quick to say that GameStop is just the blockbuster of video games in the Netflix mm-hmm. world, right? That there were there was a new management team coming in that had uh, new ideas as to how to generate revenue and how to, you know, enhance the brand. And so that people were like legitimately thinking GameStop was an undervalued stock. Right. And this is that $4 right. or $5 a share. Yeah, and just this was quick like a question. Uh,
0: yeah. Just a quick question. So at that point, and maybe, sorry to interrupt you, maybe you were going to mm-hmm. mention it anyways, at that point,
1: were the shorts from the hedge companies already in place while they were having this discussion? I think they were. No, see, no one really knows what the short positions are. Those aren't really publicly reported, so you have to kind of guess as to what the short positions are. The SEC will publish a li- like the, the short interest uh, that I think is as close to official as it gets, but that's only, I think, one, twice a month, right? So there's no, okay. definitely no real-time data. Uh, there's some data coming in from market that is an estimate based on like the number of sales that are marked short, but that's both an unreliable figure. And it has, you have no idea what the net short position is. So you have to, it's not, see that was, that's been a problem the whole time, but they did figure out, I think through some of the regulatory filings of this Melvin Capital, which is uh, a hedge fund. I would not call it a short fund. They don't specialize in short selling. They're a highly levered fund. Uh, but they wanted to short this stock and... I think it's you know they they caught on to the fact that they probably given all the information that they knew uh, that they could know that this that they were shorting GameStop uh, to the point where I think they had taken a short position in more shares than were publicly available. So all of the stock shares that make up the what they call the public float, like what's available for trading, let's call it 65 million shares of GameStop out there in public circulating in one form or another. That they were probably short something along the lines of double that or one and a half times that something crazy. P- people didn't even realize you could do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So how can you bet against more shares than exist, right? So these are highly levered um, trades. So somewhere in that point, uh, they figured, look, uh, this might be something of a you know of a classic short squeeze where if we pile into the stock and drive the price higher. That, you know, it, it will force, uh, it will force, I mean, and this is the story that everyone now knows, right? Is that Melvin Capital uh, would start losing money every time the stock goes up because they've bet against it. So then they would have to go out and buy shares back to close out their short right. positions. And so right. that creates what they call a squeeze, a, a upward cycle in, in price.
0: Yeah, that's an important Mm -hmm. piece for it, like for people who aren't really technical in the markets, that it it wasn't just these traders alone that had that amount of leverage to increase the price by that that much. It basically created a snowball effect uh, where these uh, hedge funds needed to buy back those positions and kind of stop the bleeding. And it just kind of pushed it all the way up. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so uh, there seems to be a point then, uh, I guess, where it evolved from just based on the fundamentals, people saying. Hey, listen. This uh, I think this is undervalued, and then slowly all of these other elements started getting revealed. Where people are like, "Hold on a second, here." Mm -hmm. And and was there? Were were you? Did you look at the evolution of the conversation in the group? Where people did they get into a conversation where they were like, where they were saying, "This is wrong," or they are way over leveraged. This shouldn't be right. Or how did how did it develop from there in terms of the conversation?
1: Uh, You know, I I came very late to the Wall Street bets conversation. By the time I came in, I started seeing. you know, I came in like everyone else did through popular media reports and things like that. And so, by the time I started looking, uh, th- we were already into this sort of speculative bubble, and it wasn't clear—totally clear—and it, it's probably a mix, right? Is the price going, you know, from something like four or five dollars a few months ago to nineteen, you know, nine bucks to fifteen bucks, and then all of a sudden this vertical line up to like a hundred plus? Was that because people? Wall Street bets and these small retail investors on Robinhood were piling into the stock and essentially pumping the stock or was it a short squeeze that was going on and that the people who were the funds that were covering the shorts uh were were actually in the short squeeze and so I I thought that was an interesting question because you don't really know and looking back it's probably almost certainly both because we know that now we know now that the that the that the hedge funds have been covering the short positions so the but what was interesting though was that the conversation on on wall street bets was to say look we're this like you know they they liken themselves a bit to like the uh to the apes in planet of the apes where you know they're like heavily out out gunned and and stuff but they know that you know if apes stay together you know apes are strong right and so they just reduced it to this very simple credo which was if you can buy and if you buy, hold, and just never sell, because at some point it's got to be the case that they're going to get squeezed, and then we're going to go quote to the moon. And they started use you know a lot of like really funny lingo started developing, uh, you know, where they would say stuff like you know part in the part in the um, the language, I guess, but they would say stuff like you know we can stay retarded for longer than they can so- stay solvent, meaning like let's break every single rule of rational investing. But if we do it as a group, we can force. We you know we can finally force Wall Street and Melvin Capital. I don't know if they had anything specific against Melvin Capital, except as an avatar for Wall Street, which I think is still in America a very hated group of people because they you know they never paid the price for what they for what they were seen to have done in 2008, right? And, you know, the amount of pain that was inflicted on regular people. And so there was there was a. I started being really interested in this because I'm like. Are people in this to make money because they think that there's an opportunity here, a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, you know, to uh, to basically, you know, blackmail Wall Street into handing over billions of dollars, or was this a way to really about to inflict pain on a class of, you know, a financial financier class that always seems to win? Um, so and that was yeah, when you were,
0: yeah, when you were exploring that question, did you get close to an answer where where they stood uh, w- closer to one side or the other, or it was really kind of a mix of uh, of, of both kinds of people in there? Uh, did you get any sense of that when you were asking that question?
1: I felt that uh, I felt that it was definitely a mix of both uh, and and it wasn't just some people were in it for inflicting pain and some revenge right and some of i would say exacting justice and some people were in it just to make some quick cash i think it was it wasn't just that there were those two types of people but that the people themselves were of two minds and so most almost everyone probably had a bit of both within themselves right and so when the when the price goes up, it was probably a little bit more greed. And when the price goes down, it was probably a little bit more like, look, I'm I'm in this because, you know, uh, I'm I am willing to accept financial loss. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm willing to 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 experience pain because I want the other side to feel pain. I want these billionaire I want Stephen A. Cohen to feel pain. I want Ken Griffin to feel pain, you know, things like that.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um that's interesting. Give me one second. I'm just going to change my connection here. Okay, okay. sorry about that. So now I'm back. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So now, uh, now we've got an idea of who was involved. Um, obviously, um, halfway through the game, all of a sudden the uh, the rules of the game changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think like the sheer the sheer amount of volume that was coming in through um, the fact that the media started reporting it brought millions of people millions of people into Reddit uh, specifically wall street bets. And the, the site grew from, well, I think when I first looked at it, there were probably like 2 million subscribers and the next day there were 4 million and then it was five, six, I think currently it's uh 9 million or something close to that. So a lot of people, a lot of people, and not just in the U S but around the world. And they were trading this thing 24 hours overnight, you know, people in Australia, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh Germany England were all coming in and reporting what they were pro- what they were driving the price up to overnight uh so this was a round the clock thing and people were staying up all night you know it was like a global party uh to try and crash wall street and and um and so sorry i kind of for- lost the qu- forgot the question there a little bit but i mean yeah it was it it was it's it so, yeah, it, roof. It, yeah,
0: yeah. Basically, basically, um, there were some mechanisms put in place to stop the bleeding,
1: which was oh, a, right. part
0: of the bi- a big part of the outrage, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, with the number of people that are coming in and then placing retail orders, um, what's what started happening is you started hearing people like in, in the UK, for example, saying, Oh, I'm using this discount retail broker 212 trading, and they've 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 locked me out of these names, and it was specifically the meme stocks, the ones that were targeted. It wasn't just GameStop that that was the biggest one, but there was AMC, Nokia, BlackBerry, etc. And they were saying all of these stocks have been have been prohibited on my trading app. And then when it got to uh, U.S. trading hours, uh, Robinhood did the thing that kind of everyone knew would be like the most damaging to or most helpful to the hedge funds and most damaging to. Uh, you know, the Wall Street bets uh, retail investors was that they only allowed you to sell your stock in these names, but you were not allowed to buy. So they, like, they, it's kind of ridiculous, but if you, if you wanted to, like, if you wanted to go in and tilt the scales in favor of the hedge funds to help them out. You know what they want to do is they want to buy the shares back at like a depressed price right they don't want new buyers coming in to to hoard up the you know the available shares to buy so they would just say like can you just go to their app and just hide the buy button <laughs> but you know <laughs> but keep the sell button you know like if they took out both you can't sell you can't buy then it's not really helpful either But they only did the sale button. So that I felt. And even when I saw that, I was like, this is very conspiratorial sounding. I mean, this is very strange, you know, and people were really looking for, uh, you know, an answer. The one thing I didn't really the reason I was like, I'm not sure that this is conspiratorial in that sense was because we had in following it. I had heard that there were many other retail investors that were doing the same thing. Right, so it wasn't just Robinhood, it was two one two trading, and it was it was I think Webull had done it um you know a number of retail brokers had limited the amount of shares that people could trade in this, and there are reasons that that could be the case and but anyway, people were very rightfully livid about what happened, so
0: yeah right i remember seeing some explanations where um some of the kind of ceos of these uh, trading platforms they said they gave the technical reason as to why they had to do it because of the two day tr- uh, settling period not having the funds available to, to 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 do these trades and all this kind of stuff um so but but you had an interesting response to me when i said <laughs> uh, it, it maybe it wasn't a, a collusion uh, maybe it wasn't a deliberate people getting together to do this yeah you remember you i mean remember? I'm- yeah
1: yeah, I mean, I'm okay. So the idea being like, okay, did like Citadel sit down and you know, Citadel has, I mean, there are conflicts of interest, no doubt, right? So Citadel okay. is the one that's like um, doing a lot of like the trade routing for 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 Robinhood and stuff. Like, d- like did they have a hand in some way to you know make the clearinghouses require more margin when it came to delivering through shares of? GameStop or whatever. I mean, I don't know, maybe. But the the sheer amount of volume that was coming in and the fact that it was like very small lots and there were a lot of accounts across a lot of different platforms all trading and piling into the same name. And you saw these price swings that were just absolutely insane. And think about it, you're, you're talking about like, an app that lets you trade before you settle cash into it. So it's kind of like taking on your word that you're going to put cash in there. There is risk in the system. So I can I do believe that there, there was uh, a plausible um, risk management reason, systemic risk management re- uh, reason to uh, limit the amount of shares that were going to be transacted. But, but in my opinion, if that was the outcome, was that the retail investors ended up you know uh, having the the scales tilted against them right and that that's even more damning because it doesn't take collusion to produce this outcome. The system as it normally works is already tilted against the retail investor. So if it turns out there was no collusion, I think the, the outcome's even worse because the next time this happens, through normal functioning of the market, retail investors are going to get screwed again
0: right so yeah yeah th- I mean that's that's a really important point there were no mm-hmm. mechanisms in place for these uh, hedge funds to short more than what was available in the market mm-hmm. but now there's mechanisms in place to um let them to to make these absolutely crazy trades and the system is designed in such a way that they'll only bleed out to a certain point and then all of a sudden it's gonna you know the buck's gonna stop on the retail investor mm-hmm. I mean it, it 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 definitely seems like the whole
1: system is designed um, to benefit one group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I and I think there's going to be a lot of fallout from that, and you know, and it's kind of sad because Robin Hood is going to go down, and I don't think Robin Hood is necessarily like the greatest actor here, but there's a lot of firms out there like Citadel, I think, uh, and 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 um, Sat Capital. And all these like you know the tiger cub hedge funds and all these like supremely levered funds that totally you know uh, introduce tons of risk into the system, and you know they're gonna they're gonna make out with profits and and uh, they're fine. But Robinhood, um, which I think tried to democratize finance, I'm I, I'm not a fan of Robinhood. I don't use Robinhood, but I'm just saying like if the one firm that's gonna go down for all of this activity is Robinhood, I mean. Right. People are angry at Robinhood, but if you take the long, the longer view, that's kind of upsetting too, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's the retail, it's the retail broker that has to go down, but all of the, th- of all the systemically yeah. massive firms that profit from this all day, they're fine. I mean, it's the
0: it's the perfect scapegoat, especially with their name also Robin Hood, and, and yeah. this is what you're going to end up doing. I mean, it's 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 the yeah. perfect person to pin this on. And I mean, uh, you know, I'm just thinking like how this whole system works. Um, I mean, a shorting, um, from what I've understood from all of my friends who do trading here in China, where I'm located, shorting mm-hmm. isn't allowed on the market here. It's not done. Uh, But it's a really, I mean, it seems like it's a predatory practice to begin with. I I remember um, seeing some of these uh, actors in the US, some of these funds, uh, they'll do, there was one particular guy, he would, what he would do is he would, for example, short a medical stock, and then he would go out and he would dispute their patent uh, to drop the price of the stock. Yeah. and profit a lot while the people who are waiting for those medicines to come out are suffering and not getting their medicines in time now uh the the sec and, and and organizations go after people like that for shorting and distorting but there's nothing that happens in the market in the meanwhile to all of a sudden change the rules to limit the damage i mean shorting and you you have these uh, i believe it was george soros also who went and, and shorted the thai bot and kind of destroyed their currency uh, yes. through these uh, yeah shorting um kind of uh uh, mechanisms and and now all of a sudden because you were saying I, d- I didn't realize there were so many people around the world participating in this GameStop thing but when you were saying they wanted to inflict pain on Wall Street also maybe some people would be like oh well that definitely is something that needs to stop if foreigners are getting involved and wanting to crash Wall Street this is what they've done to foreign currencies <laughs> all along yes um, yeah well, I mean w- w- what are you what are, I mean what are your thoughts I'm actually curious also what are your thoughts in shorting in general and how this whole system works from that point of view <clears throat>
1: I mean it can be du- I mean it's it's not I don't think there's anything inherently it's a tool it's a financial tool and mm-hmm. there's nothing inherently wrong I don't think with shorting in the sense that there are ethical short sellers like for example like 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 uh you know probably one of the most famous short bets of all time was against was Jim Chanos in shorting against uh, Enron right and, mm-hmm. and he was trying to say look there's a lot of fraud going on I mean your classic ethical short seller exists existed And their job was to go and 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 basically be a watchdog on corporate America and say, "You're." I mean, they're try they they try to do that with GM recently. not sorry, with uh, GE recently, to say that GE is actually engaging in massive accounting fraud, which could be true. Uh, Mm. And so, there that used to be what short selling was, but then yeah, there's this predatory form of short selling where you go short, you don't tell anyone about it, and try to, you know, tank the stock and make an easy profit, which I think is what was going on in this case with GameStop. Short. I mean, that, I mean to short 140 of the t- of the available float. I mean, there's there's no. That's not. That's not a. That, you know, not. That's not even a safe way of doing it. I mean, that's just a stu- These people don't even know what they're doing, right? And, and they ended up losing 50 percent of their fund because of it. But the problem with short selling, uh, and I know China is is um, cautious about it, is because if you think about how a short sale works, it results in a in a the. It results in a situation where one stock is owned by two different people. So there's the lender who lent the stock to the short seller, right? So what happens is I borrow the stock from someone that owns it, and then I sell it to lock in my short sale price, hoping for it to go down. Later, I buy it back and return it to where I lent it from. So that means that the lender who gave it to me he didn't sell it to me, right? The lender didn't sell it to me. They borrowed, they lent it to me. So it's still their stock and they are owed it back. But then when I sold it into the market, whoever bought it owns that stock outright. So this share that's now been shorted kind of exists in this sort of neither world where it's owned by two people. And that's why it has to be covered. It's expensive because it's risky. And so you right. have to make sure to close it out so that you don't have this issue of like, one share of stock being owned by two people, and now you have this situation where okay, extrapolate that out to more shares than exist now are under this situation. I don't even know what that means, right? So I think it's in there. There are some inherently risky uh, things about short selling, and um, you know, I, I I think China's right to be a little. I know they've allowed it to some degree in since on the since stock exchange, but nothing like to the approach to the levels that are, are being done in the US. It's ridiculous.
0: OK, yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember hearing that there were some uh, types of mechanisms for shorting. That's why I was saying from what I heard from some people, but it, I don't mm-hmm. think it happens on the same level here that it, uh, that I've seen happening over there. Um, yeah. Now, uh, before we move on from the Wall Street bet, bets crowd, also, the the thing the interesting thing is, though, I guess, um, technically speaking, there, there there would have probably been a lot of retail investors that got into that stock uh, just before um, they 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 closed off the buy button, just before nobody else could could uh, at least from the retail side could buy it from them. So there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, retail investors that are going to lose money from this too. That they were kind of getting in just before the party, you know, they, just before they shut the doors on this whole uh, thing. Um, mm-hmm. Are you seeing any fallout from that or any discussion about that? About people saying, "Oh, what what are we going to do now? What's going on? Like, what's the community like now?" Because I guess it's this what's supposed to be a stalemate, everybody's supposed to agree also not to sell and to hold on, uh, but you're going to inevitably get some people taking some profit. And it's like that philosophy question where if you've got two people going to prison and if one rats out the other, he's going to be safe, <laughs> but if both stay silent, oh, you know, it's yeah. like this, oh, no, this philosophical question. This is game question. theory
1: on steroids. its I mean, that's another fascinating thing about these sort of like speculative bubbles is it's all game theory all the way down, right? Like, I, you know, do you want to take advantage of the situation personally and lose out on bigger goal or you know what do you want to do and so i think this will be studied for a while in terms of how this played out um but yeah i mean what what uh, maybe if the question is like what kind of recourse will people have because they're you know because Robinhood, you know froze the i don't think they're going to have much recourse against the brokers i think that there's there is going to be a it seems like there's going to be hearings in uh, congress about what happened and they're going to want to go through this and the sec is going to investigate and um but whether whether people are going to get compensated for this i think Really, I think if people lost money in this, they've lost money. I, I don't. I don't know if, if our system of stock trading is has any mechanism whatsoever to make people whole on uh, on risks that they took. And Robinhood, and this is probably why they maintain that sell button is like, look, we were trying to prevent you put from putting on risk by by leaving the sell sell button there. We made sure that all of our customers had a way to exit the trade, which is would be to reduce the risk. Right. So um, they could even argue that, look, look at how this thing played out. Uh, what we did was right. the right thing. We we were encouraging you to sell out of a position that we basically knew was, was going to be a pump and dump Ponzi scheme bubble. Right. So it's going to be hard for right. people to get paid back
0: now on the other hand on the flip side for the hedge funds um so obviously they had the first step of um the the bleeding uh being stopped to a certain degree um but also a lot of stories popping up of um hedge funds bailing out other hedge hedge funds who got in a little bit too far over their head uh you're definitely i mean that's not something you're going to see on the retail side if you've lost your money you've lost your money but that yes. that's a lot of that's been going on where you see kind of uh these uh, funds and, and these groups who are affected by their their bad shorts um kind of making sure that they all survive i mean it all seems kind of it it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem you know the people who created this mess they seem to have a lot more recourse a
1: lot more protection don't they they do i look i mean i think they lost money i mean melvin capital reported that they lost 53 percent in in january alone they're a 12 Mm -hmm. billion dollar fund so they they lost six more than six billion dollars in this and if you add up the total of what wall street suffered from this they they suffered and so i think if if this had been a trade where people were just like look i'm willing to throw in some amount of money that i'm willing to lose on a on a risky bet but the whole purpose of it is to inflict pain on wall street if that was what people went into it for well mission accomplished i mean i think that they really did put they did i think they did inflicted real financial pain i know people that uh are working at hedge funds that are genuinely freaked out by what's going on And Mm -hmm. it was a very upsetting event for people in uh, in in professional markets. So accomplished. I mean, if that was the goal, I think that they accomplished it. Uh, Right. Yeah. But if the goal was to make money, they probably a lot of most of them probably made out. You know, lost.
0: Right. You know. I mean, do you think this will, I, I mean, it seems like a lot more effective than, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the um, uh, discontent about how the financial systems work, um, how they're balanced. Uh, I mean, that's a lot about, that's a lot of what the uh, Occupy Wall Street was about. And I mean, if you look at what happened after Occupy Wall Street in terms of the wealth gap increasing and all this stuff, it doesn't seem to have really done anything. Do you think this um unlike unlike the uh, uh, occupy wall street will actually accomplish anything is there going to be any real change that comes out of this where people say okay you know what people are really unhappy this has exposed a bigger issue or like what what do you think comes next is there anything positive that comes out
1: of this i mean sadly again i think <laughs> it depends what your time frame is i think immediately the, in the near term no and i and i and instead of i think well, occupy i think it's you know Occupy, I think, was a bit more of a positive, organized movement. And, and, it, and, and what came out of Occupy in the longer term, I think, was uh, the, the sort of the DemSoc Bernie Sanders-led you know, uh, movements that came. Uh, you know, Was that successful? Uh, probably to some extent. I mean, I, it, I think that really did change politics in a real way. And there was power right. behind it. Uh, but this, I think, this event, I, I actually thought that it had more in common with the storming of the Capitol. In many ways, okay, and that you know what it what it really was about was this sort of like rage and this. I mean, it, you have to understand, like you're in China, like living in the U.S. Uh, there's the the population here is feeling a lot more desperate and a lot more angry, and the situation here is totally different than what's going on in China, and right. um, you know, I think people here are looking for some sort of cathartic event. They're looking for um, just the same way that for example, like let's put it this way the QAnon folks were looking for a sort of culmination, culminating event. Mm -hmm. They wanted, they thought that come, uh, you know when when the inauguration on January 20th started, they really truly believed and they were holding on and this is how they kept the fervor alive in their movement was this belief that January 20th was going to be a very special day and if you watch television that day that we would see the you know the the coup or you know whatever it was that Trump had been planning, they really believed that there was going to be a culminating event and you know you saw this here too you I mean if you follow the if you follow what they were saying online, they really believed that if you just held on despite losses despite if you bought in at $350 it doesn't matter and you're down to 190 hold on because we promise you that and then they come up with any number of explanations all of them probably lies like oh we found out that they have a huge option position that if it, it blows up if it, if it if it gets called on Friday Friday will be the day that the infinite infinity squeeze happens and we're going to have you know you can sell your stock for 10,000 bucks if you want you're going it's going to change your life so they were you know it was the same thing where they were it was a group of people maintaining faith hope in mm. in change faith that something would finally change and right. and not just in a vague term but specifically on this day and people wanted to believe that and and i think the psychology uh, that was driving that the wall street bets thing is every bit as disturbing and sad as what drove people to storm the capital or to or to buy into a conspiracy theory like QAnon?
0: so so do you think then like um i mean from what it sounds like a lot of these things that are happening like uh, even storming the capital underneath it all if you dig down to the most basic layer it really um comes down to a discontent with how, how specifically the the, the the way that the capitalist system is set up there. I mean, I remember I watched actually a couple days ago a video, an interesting video where um, bef- it was from before Trump was elected, and they went to this small town, it was one of the poorest towns in the poorest states of America. And they wanted to find out why it was the most pro Trump town. And they were just like coal miners who had been out of business out of jobs for a long time, their 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 city was decaying uh, their town rather. And they said, well, because he says he's going to bring back the coal mines. He's going to put us back to work. Um, you know, for them, it was about economics. It was about, you know, hope that Donald Trump would at least change the the, the the balance in their favor a little bit. Is that is that what it all comes down to a
1: lot of these movements in, in the most basic terms?
0: Do I think you know it's, I
1: mean? yes, it does. I think that it's sad because you saw, for okay, so like as this trade was going on, What happened? You saw people like Mark Cuban come out and start saying, pretending like he's like the man of the people, and he's going on CNBC saying like, "Hold!" Yeah, he starts adopting the language of the crowd, right? Like "Diamond Hands," hold, you know, "Hold you apes," right? And the crowd goes crazy because they're like, "Oh, it's one of it's Mark Cubans defending us on TV." He's 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 a billionaire. Uh, you saw Jordan Belfort. Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, come out, say, oh, I'm so proud of you guys. You know, you guys are doing what I could never do. This is <laughs> what I always want to do with my career. You saw hucksters and scam artists come out of the woodwork to capture the energy and the potential for profit and fame. Uh, when you see 8.5 million people starting piling onto this, you see the uh, charlatans come out and try and co-opt the movement. And that's what Trump is. That's what Trump was for these people. He was a Mark Cuban type that saw all the fervor and all the discontent. And he tried to step in and appropriate that for himself. And the people who get hurt uh, are the people who want to believe so bad that they will think that a Mark Cuban or, you know, a Jordan Belfort could actually be on their side. Right. And, you know, and so that's the danger. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the same
0: people that were thrown under the bus always before that are going to be thrown under the bus again. It seems like, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just seems like for me. I mean, um, the the thing that's scary for me when I look at um, the American political system, at least from the outside, is just how much money is involved in it. Uh, how much money is involved in politics? I mean, the the, the people who uh, sponsor a lot of these politicians are the the same people that um, these groups, uh, these grassroots groups, are trying to fight against. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I mean, you, you say that sure from the 2008, uh, the, from the Occupy Wall Street, all this stuff, there's some good things that came out of it. you got, you know, Bernie Sanders, you've got, but at the end of the day, when, uh, I mean, I don't know if you were following, for example, the AOC force the vote situation, you I, know, I when, was, it, when yeah. It, yeah, when it, when it came down to the wire, when she had an opportunity to leverage her vote. Um, for the Speaker of the House to force a vote on Medicare for all in the middle of the pandemic, she she backed down from it, saying, well, you know, we've got to preserve our political energy or whatever it is. But then when it came to um, impeaching Trump, she said that, well, you know, it it doesn't matter if it's useless. It's about sending a message. Mm -hmm. Well, well, what about sending a message about healthcare for all during a pandemic? I mean, these are the kinds of things that would start to probably help uh, a lot of these people who are discontent with the way that the capitalists is particularly playing out I know what I mean basically what I'm trying to get to with going through some of these thoughts is is there really any hope for change if if there is how does it happen is there any is there anything happening that looks like it's going in that direction I mean you know what I mean
1: yeah no I do I think that's a really good question and I think that the the force the vote in, in in AOC and that 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 controversy being like you know, was AOC willing to go against her party and with, you know, possibly threaten the re-election of Nancy Pelosi to the House Speakership um, and, and, and basically forcing the issue of Medicare for All onto a floor vote? And, um, you know, her response was, that's bad strategy. This is not how you accomplish, you know, reform within the system. So the question is, is that the way about it? Because I think she's right on that front. I don't think that there was any uh, tactical advantage to doing what Jimmy Dore wants to do. But... What in my mind, I don't think Jimmy Dore gives a shit about change within the system. I don't think you know, and I think more and more people, what you're seeing is a loss of faith in institutions, and people mm-hmm. don't believe that Congress is going to have the answer one way or another. What they want to do is storm Congress, and they want to, and they and they want to tear down institutions because they don't believe in it anymore. I don't know if I, I mean, I don't think the answer is necessarily to tear down institutions. You know, or to cause a financial crisis by willfully going out and trying to, uh, you know, create systemic risk that cannot be managed in the system, and so that we will all experience a catastrophic recession or financial crisis. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I think that, on the other hand, I don't think people have any hope that Wall Street will ever be on their side. And I don't think people have any hope that Congress will ever be on their side. So people, Americans are, you know, we're stuck in a catch-22 because it's like, we're never going to get what we want through organized, constructive, uh, you know, uh, activity. I mean, look at what they did to Bernie. I mean, that's as legitimate and mainstream a movement as you can think of. And they, and they uh, crushed him two elections in a row. uh in new york we i mean we had a huge rally for him in queens i didn't even get to vote for him because by the time the primary came around to new york he was you know was over and so um the the way that elites in america have held on to power has so destroyed the basic uh trust in or faith in institutions that they're almost forcing people into the hands of people like Trump and into the hands of people like the, you know, charlatans, like the ones that you see on TV that are trying to now capture, you know, like, you know, I mean, who else is doing it? Like, um, uh, what's that guy on Fox News? Uh, I, I always forget his name. Uh, anyway, the, these people in um, uh, these people in media, uh, they're always in media. They're always able to get their names in front of, populist discontent and say the cool thing the say you know mm-hmm. say the lingo and suddenly it, it, you're like oh my god this guy's just like us he hates the system just like us it's unbelievable and he's on cnbc this I'm is un- unreal yeah and then you he becomes an avatar court. he he adopts your lingo and it, it's it's a very powerful connection i mean i've got to say like uh you know in watching this happen in real time with wall street bets and how it you know that it use specific terminologies and then you see someone go on live tv and use that terminology you suddenly feel like wow this is real and that's right. exactly what trump did <laughs>
0: right i mean how many how many times can that really happen though where it happens over and over this guy's really on our side but nothing actually happens nothing really changes i mean you you, you got to think that there's got to be a certain point. For me personally, um, you know, I cover I cover a lot of more kind of uh, American foreign policy stuff. I think what they're doing in terms of pointing out enemies abroad, whether it be Venezuela or you know China or all this stuff, is 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 um, one of the essential uh, benefits of that. One of the essential drivers is to kind of deflect attention away from home. Mm. Um, I, I mean, me personally, like when I'm asking you, what's next? Like, what 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 can possibly be done? I think stopping with that and starting to focus on your own country is probably a good thing. But um, I mean, yeah. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, uh, what's next. Do you think that actually uh, this isn't something I talked to you about at all? Um, do you think that perhaps, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin and this kind of stuff that's going on a lot? Of, because I mean, that was born in 2008 during the. Uh, during the original financial crisis as as a way to kind of uh, exit the legacy uh, finance system to a certain degree. Do you think a lot of people are looking at this? I don't know what your thoughts are on, on cryptocurrency, but they're looking at this possibly as a way to exit this system. Maybe it's ironic because a lot of the hedge funds, uh, Visa, PayPal, all of these people are getting in ahead of the curve now. They're getting into it now. But what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Is that a possible thing where people, because obviously I'm not sure how familiar you are with Bitcoin. It's got a fixed inflation rate and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Is there a possible thing there that could, uh,
1: you know, I mean, I mean, if you look at the price, if you look at the price, I mean, it it sounds like it's real. Right. And if you look at the the kinds of investors that are going in and there's institutional uh, interest in it now and and not it's not all speculative people like Michael Saylor, if people if people know that name, but um, it's not just people like Michael Saylor, who's a bit of a. He's a bit of a k- kook. Let's be honest, uh, but it's some you know it's some uh, it's some more uh, conservative type uh, investment investors that are going into it. I think you know it's hard to say. I've I've been thinking about Bitcoin more and more. I don't own any Bitcoin. I don't own any crypto, uh, and I think there is a definitely a very scammy uh, tulip mania uh, aspect to crypto. But on the other hand, you know I think like when. You know, the question may not be, is crypto, is, is Bitcoin a scam? The question might be, is the American financial system uh, safe? A bigger scam. Yeah, is, is it, it a, a, bigger, bigger a bigger scam? Exactly. <laughs> right, which, which is the bigger scam, right? And that might be the question. And I think that um, people are, I think the idea that the U.S. financial system is uh, operating at a red line that is not safe is not a fringe view at all. Uh, you know, a lot. The I, I think the mainstream view now among pe- you know, among the intellectual class that actually you sh- you could you you should or could take very seriously is very concerned uh, about the American monetary system, financial system, and the safety and soundness of it. Um, and that makes Bitcoin seem a little bit more not so crazy, right? And I think <laughs> yeah. if the U.S. financial system was working as in a normal sense and that it was safe, yeah, it's probably tulip mania. But who knows? I don't know. I don't know nobody knows the answer because it's path dependent on what people collectively decide it is. But for yeah. me personally, I have always thought it was scammy until lately. And I'm like, maybe, maybe it is for real. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh,
1: it's um, I don't
0: really talk about uh, Bitcoin on my channel because I, I realize yeah. that a lot of people are, are in the same mindset. They think it's scammy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been around for 10 years. It's got a fixed monetary policy. It's uh, decentralized, not controlled by a central. And at the end of the day, when you look at the history of money, it's a matter of deciding what are you going to assign value for. Exactly. You know, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are looking at gold as an on- alternative, but for the most pl- uh, part, um, it still relies on the system where you know you, nobody's buying physical bars of gold and, and storing it in their house. You still uh, uh, rely on institutions. Whereas you know Bitcoin, if you own your private keys, you own that that Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, I don't. I, 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 this wasn't going to be a talk about crypto, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. But I, I think you're probably right. I mean, the the fact that um, the, the the traditional finance system and fiat currencies in general, which seems to be more and more like a house of cards, um, is getting people to think more about these alternative options. I mean, how much longer can we go on like this is really my question, you know?
1: Well, it depends on the economy, too. I don't know if there's anything necessarily wrong with fiat money per se. And I think that the the um, I think the view that fiat money is inherently bad is probably not, not, is going a little too far. But I think that when fiat money is abused the way that it gets abused mm, in the United right, States right. and that when you have an economy that's basically like not it's not a productive economy anymore like all we do is is consume and it's not it's you know we don't there's no material economy left right um that's a that it's just a it's just a it's it's um it it makes people it makes me wonder like why are people so tied to the u.s dollar there's a lot there's other games going around i mean there's obviously you're in china you know that Uh, there's other games in town now you don't have to be beholden to the u.s dollar but yet it seems like uh, we we are in America are doing everything we can. We're using we're using all pulling out all the stops to make sure that nobody ever is able to get out of the U.S. financial system. And I think instead, I mean, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, but I think the much bigger threat to uh, Did- well, we call it a threat in America, but I think the much bigger promise in the world is digital probably yuan. digital yuan. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. That uh, that's uh, a, a fundamental subversion of how the financial system of of our monopoly on the financial system. Oh, I, mean, I think it's, that's it's going to
0: be. Yeah, it's going to be a game changer. I mean, you know, in terms of the ability to bank the unbanked as well, and all the things, all the features that come with blockchain currencies. But I mean, I mean, America has been doing a really good job of incentivizing people to find an alternative also with how heavily weaponized it is, you know, penalizing other people for, you know, for example, they walk away from the Iran nuclear deal. And then all of a sudden, the European countries that haven't walked away from it can't trade with Iran in US dollars anymore. So I remember, they set up a system, I read it in Kishore Mahbubani's book, I think it was called Intex or Instex or something like that. They created an alternative settlement uh method because a lot of their banks got hit with huge fines from uh still trading in the us dollar but uh i i actually agree with you the digital yen that's going to be really interesting to see how that develops because that is going to be completely i mean and it's so easy to deploy you know you're not going through the swift system you're not going through any of these legacy finance system it's completely all you have to do is own a mobile phone that's a
1: yeah, that's a, well and it, i mean in that it's it's for me it's more that you don't you don't have to trust china and I think that's the key because under the U.S. dollar system, you have to trust America to do the right thing. So, like, let's take Venezuela for example. I mean, they have a lot of U.S. dollar reserves because they're an oil-exporting country, right? But all their dollars sit in an account at the Federal Reserve. So, all of this hmm. wealth that the state has is just a number sitting in a computer in in uh, either in New York or Washington. And so, when the United States decides that we have a political issue that we want to resolve uh, and we we don't want to recognize uh, Maduro anymore. Uh, we want to recognize Guaido. Well, what do they do? They handed control of that account over to Guaido. So you have to trust that America is going to, you know, uh, for example, like recognize uh, your leader. <laughs> and if they don't, they, they could just hand control like they did. They literally handed control of billions of, of state assets over to their preferred person uh, that's that's called trust you have to trust that the united states won't do yeah, that take t-
0: taking it away from a democratically elected person it is it, interesting it reminded me of uh i watched an interview with uh, john perkins the um the author of uh, economic hitman uh and uh he was in an interview um on Valuetainment and uh, the the host was trying to ask him because uh, the the host is generally generally has some pretty negative views about China like many d- people do and he was trying to get him to say well what China's doing now is what light what what America has always done they're kind of taking over now now they've got their own economic hitmans. and Uh, John Perkins, he's a little bit reluctant to respond to it just outright saying no, that's not true. He tried to sprinkle in some stuff while saying, you know, they build some stuff in Central America and the building qualities are bad. But you know what, actually, at the end of the day, if you ask these Central American leaders, who would they rather deal with? China or America, even if they're after the same thing, even if they're after the resources, they say, well, China, of course, they're not coming in with uh, political requirements. They're not overthrowing our governments. They're not. There's no risk of us being assassinated or something like that. And a lot of that power does come from the uh, US dollar. I didn't realize the story of handing over the US dollar accounts um, to Guaido. That's uh, that's yes. interesting. But yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like that's a ticking time bomb also. And now all of a sudden, China's come out with this digital currency. It seems like, um, yeah, like you said, it, it requires a lot less... Trust and a lot less risk uh, for other countries
1: to say. Yeah, I mean, Ch- China's setting up a blockchain system where basically they can't do that, right? They're not going to be the sole arbiter of of transactions. So if you hold digital yuan, you hold it, and the Chinese uh, central th- bank cannot, the P- the PBOC can't can't just you know unilaterally take uh, take your money. Right. Yeah. You can't do that in a blockchain, right? So th- I think I think in a way, like you know, what China's Doing here is it's called com- it's called competing, right? It's saying we can, yeah, we can yeah, innovate, yeah. we can we can offer a better system, and you know when people get into these arguments as to oh well yes the U.S. is shit we agree I like well, you know hey I'm I am i am smart I know that we have a CIA we do bad shit but China is just going to do the same thing so what's the difference well I mean I think the, a- the proper answer to that should be that well no I mean two is better than one because we should be competing with each other right like if you know, when we talk about like debt. Uh, debt trap diplomacy and stuff. I mean, okay, yeah, China lends money to uh, countries that may not be creditworthy to pay it back. The question is, are they offering? Is it better to have two lenders in there competing for these contracts, or right. or just one? So, I mean, I, I think, I think that's yeah yeah i think that's what it comes down to i mean for the blockchain
0: now as far this is something i still have to familiarize myself more with for the digital yuan it's not completely decentralized like bitcoin there may be some level i think that the china still controls the monetary policy of it and it's uh, something i need to investigate more but even with that even if they had a level of control over it um it's exactly like you said now you have two options and now you can see which is the more responsible player if China all of a sudden starts doing the same stuff that the U.S. is doing, well, okay. Well, there's two players in the game now. You can just go to the other player, and right. it potentially forces the other player to become a little bit more of an honest player to say, "Well, no, okay, you know, we're going to do it this way now." I mean, that, like you said, um, that's actually embracing uh, what uh, the types of things that capitalism is supposed to achieve yes. on
1: paper. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, right. I think we're being monopolists, and we we are America. I mean and we don't we don't want to we don't want to compete cuz frankly i think we're a little bit frightened i don't i don't i don't think i, th- I think we kind of know we're not really all that competitive right now and and what we really lean on is the strength of the of the monopolist and mm-hmm. our ability to crowd out competitors through our monopoly yeah. power that's not that's not a that's not any sort of hegemon that you want to do business with in my opinion right i i think um
0: th- 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 these are the kinds of things that kind of play into one of my biggest fears right now. And I don't know what your opinion will be on it if you think it's a little bit overblown. But from my point of view, uh, there's two reasons for for America to really up the aggression against China. So one is that, yes, like you said, there's a competitor. Now there's a competitor. They don't want a competitor. But also America is at a stage right now where they really need to find something to unify everybody on. Because right now, there's not much unity in the U.S. I mean, it's so divided, it's so split, it's looking pretty scary, at least from the outside, from an outsider's perspective. Um, I think a war uh, would potentially be something that could accomplish two things at once, is Mm -hmm. to potentially try to put another power back in place and also to find some sort of a common thing to unify people on. You know, I remember, I I think it was in, um, I can't remember the documentary. uh, uh, John Pilger's
1: documentary, Coming War with China, that that one, or...
0: Not that one, it was Curtis, Adam Curtis, uh, Adam Curtis. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was talking about because, you know, you po- po- uh, in the West in in these uh, political systems, uh, we've gotten to a, a point where uh, politicians no longer deliver their people dreams. They protect them from nightmares. And f- uh, from what you can see from the outside is a lot of the times it takes uh, first manufacturing that nightmare to protect your people against. Uh, so that's my fear. Is would that be the great unifier? Would that finally be the last hope for America to have some sort of a conflict? I mean, what
1: what are your thoughts on what's going on in regards to that? I mean, I would say that every argument that has been made about the 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 danger of war, like for example, like you know, Graham Allison and Ducydides trap and all that should be taken very seriously, right? I mean, I read it and I was like, Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I think so. All there should be all the arguments in favor of what you just said should be taken seriously. Um, but I don't think that that should lead to necessarily fear that that's going to happen mm-hmm. because, you know, what I just don't, I don't think, and, and not everyone agrees with me on this, but I, I just don't think that Americans want war. I think the, the general attitude in America is very anti war. We hate generally people, and I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, progressive do gooders. I'm talking about, you know, even people that storm the Capitol, right? Your, your average typical American hates war. Because mm-hmm. they're the ones that had to serve in the damn thing. And uh, we're sick of it. We've been at war for 20 years. We know our government's lie. we associate wars with lie, right? With lies. And um, the U.S. now covers up war in the sense that they don't we, we don't you know, we're conducting a war in Yemen. We're conducting a war in Somalia. We're conducting a war, all, you know, all over the world. But we don't really report on it because we mm-hmm. know that Americans don't like war and we don't really like watching like you know we like fantasy war we like star wars right but we don't like real war and so i don't think it's the great unifier i think it i think it's a unifier only at the political level where uh, you'll see Democrats talk shit about China and Russia and you'll see Republicans talk even more shit about China and Russia. And so if they're playing this some game, some some game of optics where they're just trying to avoid being accused of being Beijing Biden or, you know, the Manchurian candidate or something like that. But when it comes down to actually committing boots on the ground and, you know, really t- seriously contemplating war, I think, you know, America's a paper tiger and we we're not we're not um Nobody wants it. Nobody has an appetite for it. It doesn't make any sense to anybody in America. Sure, we're a little bit racist. Uh, you know, we we may we may say a lot of nasty things about China, but I don't think anybody in their right mind is supportive of a war with China. You know. You
0: know uh, the the thing that that uh, I I agree with what you're saying that nobody wants war. I, I just kind of I'm thinking back uh, to two kinds of things um, where. So the first would be where somebody says it's absolutely impossible this would happen. Obviously, before Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, when uh, America was putting some restrictions on the uh, oil exports and things like that, kind of tightening that up a bit, uh, there was um, an understanding that Japan would never, ever dare to attack the U.S. And I'm not drawing that as a parallel saying China would attack the U.S. I think actually it would happen in the opposite way. Um, particularly probably with some sort of a conflict in the South China Sea, which is probably why Taiwan's getting uh, more and more relevant. But well, I also look back to uh, what happened to the approval rating of um, these people before war, and what happened, what was the catalyst? How did they get people on board for it? So for example, with, uh, with Iraq, when they put the um, Kuwaiti girl on stage talking about the babies being thrown from incubators, after that aired, all of a sudden, people were like, we need to do something about this. And now BBC, you know, posted, reposted four times within 24 hours, a firsthand account of somebody talking about the, uh, the human rights abuses in China. And this is somebody whose story changed three times. She's on her third or fourth version of the story mm-hmm. and they're really pushing this out. So for me, th- th- those are like the warning signs for me where it's like, you gotta just, you know, you gotta tenderize the population with some of these stories. That's what I feel like is happening. And then the purpose, uh, so those are the red flags for me and then the purpose underneath is ties into a lot of the stuff we're talking about about um mm. you know it, it, America not being unified America losing its position in the world it's not going to do anything for the ordinary uh, American person but uh, that's
1: why that's my argument that's my <laughs> oh no th- those are very serious arguments i'm not you know i'm i i, I think those are all really dangerous things uh, i'm just saying that for people like for people who are um Worried about this risk, which I think they're, and I'm worried about it. And I think for that specific audience that's taking that seriously, I think sometimes, and I've noticed this happen online in the conversation, is that you know we think we're pushing against the mainstream narrative that's not taking it seriously, right? So that's that's what the conversation says, and and I think the effect of that is that we end up building a case that might be uh, a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more uh worried or w- what's the word like um uh sure that there's a war is 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 a huge risk like like we're convincing mm-hmm. ourselves that it's a huge risk but i'm I'm saying that there you know if we take it really seriously that you know we've got to consider the fact that like i i mean america's in no shape to fight a war the you you know, american people by and large will not sign up to go fight a war it it would be the most devastating thing like and and the pentagon would never sign off on it because everything every time they've gamed out something in taiwan it ends up in a nuclear war so it's just it's not you know it's not invading uh it's not liberating kuwait it's not the same operation it's not invading iraq or afghanistan this is a existentially big this is big time yeah 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 And, and and i i just don't uh i think that the what it would take to tip that rock over while yeah i mean some fucked up thing can happen in the south china sea but like i i would it just seems so fantastical that that would happen that i don't at least i don't really wait yeah. for the i don't expect it to happen let's put it that way well
0: yeah i i i, I hope you're i hope you're right um mm-hmm. and that um but I also hope that some people kind of j- jump on this uh, c- uh, level of concern earlier rather than later, because it seems like yeah. we're just getting closer and closer to a point where you just need one small catalyst, one small spark to just f- take all of this built up aggression and turn it into something that nobody wants and nobody so, ever expected. Um, that's part totally of the reason agree. why. Totally yeah, agree. But I the- think
1: just as far as the, 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 just the, if you narrow the conversation down to people who are taking it seriously. Who are worried? Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's missing within that conversation. Now, it's become a little bit echo echo chambery because its main purpose is to push against the almost total lack of concern out in the mainstream, right? And I'm just saying, like, you know, for a serious conversation to develop, it is true. I think that it is there are a lot of things that are mitigating against that, and uh, we we can um, take a little bit of hope in that. Right. Yeah, no, I hope so. All right. So
0: uh, maybe what we can uh, wrap up with is a little bit about um, in the event that uh, war uh, doesn't become the unifier uh, for Americans uh, and uh, not that it it, it always necessarily plays out that way. And we've just got to, you know, rely on good old fashioned hard work to fix the problems of America. What what is it that happens next door? What what is it uh, like? What does um, what happens say about the state of capitalism in America?
1: And and what do you what do you personally hope sees uh, it happens from here? I think that's the answer. Is that I don't know if unity is something that's. Ne- I think you know, like you say, okay, what's going to the fear is like, okay, what will unify America? A war with China, like in the past, every time we need national unity, we go fight a war, and I'm saying <clears> like now, like I don't the, see that assumption. I don't think works because I don't think. That unity is going to happen, mm-hmm. and I think that you know the reality is that in America we're so divided in every single dimension. You know we're divided by race, uh, we're divided by age, we're divided by geography, we're divided by party, and above all, we're divided by wealth. And uh, there's too many there's too many divisions in our society that we actually need to address that we can't just paper over it anymore with you know unifying slogans or even a Mm -hmm. war that we would lose so i think the next step is uh you know we've we've really got to have there's going to be a lot of social conflict within america i think the the war is going to be inside our borders um i mean and outside of course in the places that we are waging war but um but i think that the escalation of american conflict is going to be Happening inside our borders, and I think you see a lot of people say, you know, have pointed this out that the weapons of empire come home. So, the AK 47, as an example, was developed, uh, at, uh sorry, not the AK 47, the, uh, the AR 15 was developed as, um, you know, a, a piece of weaponry to fight more effectively in Vietnam, right? And now we're seeing, for the past several years, the AR 15. Being uh, having a sort of second life as a weapon of domestic terror, and so that's the kind of thing that's that we're starting to see is that um, you know a lot of uh, we've a lot of what we used to export in terms of uh, violence is coming back into the United States, and so I would worry as an American. uh, I am worried about uh, as an American much more about. The violence happening day to day already at levels that we've not seen in a long time in New York, the you know the number of shootings and the violence has gone through the roof. Um, I'm a lot more worried about that as an American than fighting a war with China. and right. um, you know for China, I mean I'm, I'm sure that they're very uh, they're preparing for the Americans to do something dangerous and yeah. something stupid. But I think the reality living here in America is that the danger is much more here at home. Right, yeah, right. Um,
0: and then, yeah, of course, and then the uh, what what transpired and what it says about the the state of uh, um, um, finance and capitalism in America is an issue that needs to be worked through too. So I mean, if you have anything else, um, you know the, I, I guess maybe what I'd like to know is are you are you optimistic in in any way about
1: anything <laughs> or are you a little bit more on that you're like, I don't know where this is going, I don't know what to, you know <laughs> uh, what's gonna happen from here? Long term, I am in the sense that these things have, you know, the things that people are very angry and upset about have been true for a long time. Capitalism didn't turn bad in the past three years. Uh, Our democracy was not, um, you know, corrupted, you know, since 2016 only. And the uh, wealth inequality in America didn't uh, suddenly appear, uh, you know, eight years ago or whatever like the 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 problems that are coming to a head now have been embedded in our society since for a long time and i'm optimistic in the sense that finally it seems like we're getting to a point in america where we're going to be taking those conflicts seriously Mm -hmm. right i don't think the conflicts that we're having are just sort of like uh are, are, are just sort of gratuitous and we're just fighting for no reason. And I think people who call for unity are trying to make us believe that, that, oh, you know, we're, you know, we, w- the reason we're fighting is because we don't believe in America anymore. I mean, that's just a bunch of horse shit. I mean, the reason we're fighting is because we have too much inequality. The reason we're fighting is because we have racial problems that we've never resolved properly. Uh, we have history that we haven't ad- addressed and um, you know, all these things, So am I optimistic? I'm optimistic in the sense that we're finally getting around to addressing this stuff and having a proper fight about it rather than papering it over again. You know, I mean, I don't know if that means that we're going to have a safe and happy uh, 2021. um, But, you know, uh, no guarantees. I mean, I think you've got to you've there's there is no guarantee that these things were going to be resolved in an easy, pleasant way for ourselves. So we're going to reap what we sow. So do
0: you think if, um, I mean, I, I think, I mean, ob- obviously other than the racial issues, probably w- would you agree that, um, the wealth gap is one of the single most important things that needs to be fixed? The,
1: the inequality in that sense. Um, yeah. They're all to- tied. They're all inextricably tied. I mean, the, the wealth gap always has a racial component to it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so like, like, I
0: mean, what, 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 I mean, what, what happens for me? Because for me, <clears throat> you know, somebody who's a little bit, you know, more anti-imperialism and, sure. uh, pro, you know, uh, kind of so- social structures that would benefit Americans, like you said, was, was, was somebody like, at least again, from my perspective with somebody like Bernie Sanders, and you didn't even get a chance to vote for him. So mm-hmm. what is it going to take? Is it going to take like a younger version of Bernie Sanders to come along and say, okay, no, that's it. We gotta, we gotta fix this, um, because who, who's going to do it? Wh- where is it going to happen? Sure. It's great that all the people are upset about this, but mm-hmm. how, how does that actually
1: manifest into, to, to, to actual change? I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody knows, and I think at this point history's in control. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's in control. I don't know if anyone has a plan. I don't know if uh, if an organized political movement um, to get uh, you know Congress people elected uh, to primary against you know uh, neolibs and putting in DSAs is going to be uh, result in anything. I I mean I think we're people are going to try. People are going to have their theories as to what should be done or what could be done, and that's great. But I think at this point, you know, uh you know, Americans if they're honest, I think we realize like we are not in control anymore. You know, it, it's like these people in the Wall Street bets, the thing gets bigger than any single person can do. Like everyone's it it, it snowballs. It's not under control and whatever is going to come is going to come. So at this point I'm I'm thinking like, you know, it's it's better to um it's better to be prepared and to just sort of kind of interpret what's going on rather than think like I there's anything that we can do about it because I mean the stuff that's happening is like nobody can predict who could predict what's that that game that this GameStop thing coming out of Reddit would be this huge story that <laughs> actually put f- the financial system in America under se- severe stress who would have predicted that people would storm the capital you know like what what what's going to happen next week, or in the two weeks from now, or throughout twenty twenty one, is so right, far right. beyond the ability for anyone to predict under existing understandings of 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 anything. And so I so, think, so yeah. You know, Sorry, go ahead. I mean, history is just going to take over.
0: Yeah, right. so I guess I guess the the, uh, the the ingredients are there for something to happen now because people are kind of waking up; they're aware. This is the part that you're optimistic about: is people know that there's a serious issue with the system. What actually ends up happening uh, could be something as obscure as what happened with GameStop, or you know <laughs> any of these other things that are happening. Yeah, is, is that yeah? Is that kind of uh, I've un- I've understood it correctly?
1: I think so. I think that's it's just like look, you're we're spectators and participants, but we are not in control and <laughs> right. you know yeah. what I mean so the question of what's to be done it wouldn't matter because if you had the right answer you wouldn't be able to do it anyway right. uh, it's just things are just going to happen and right. um, the best you could do is try and predict what's going to happen uh, right. you know yeah. get a set or, or understand as it's happening why it's happening and what the significance of it is which is I think what we were trying to do here and trying to interpret uh, de- debrief ourselves on what Wall Street bets is all about yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think is going to be, it's going to be like. It's like trying to interpret what happened.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. So, is this, um, are these the kinds of things that we can expect to hear on your podcast also for people
1: interested in it, uh, exploring some of these issues? Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about, um, Asian American, like it's an Asian American podcast where we talk about things from an Asian American perspective. And in particular, I just as a bait, because I think of Asian American, that, that sounds very dry. But what we try to do is, um, And I think Asian Americans have a reputation for being sort of politically bland and being a model minority and stuff, and uh, very class aspirational and white collar jobs and all that thing. And so we talk about uh, sort of like the crisis that the current times are presenting for that mentality. And I think it's interesting to talk about, I I encourage people to listen to it just because I I think that the Asian American model minority mentality is not really a racial identity. It's more, it's indicative of a lot of how other people think too. I mean, Asian Americans Mm -hmm. are not the only model minority, and so we just try and question that a lot, and we try to, um, you know, delve into what it means to be, or or how to uh, interpret the world and deal with the world as it is. And leaving behind, I guess, obsolete notions um, that you know from the '90s or 2000s. Right. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't work in this new world, so that's yeah. yeah, Escape from Plan A. If you want to find it. Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. No, that sounds great. I'm going to refer everybody over to it. Um, Definitely sounds interesting. It's been really great speaking to you, and uh, we'll of course
1: continue speaking offline as well. Yeah. Likewise, I hope I, I I really hope I can try some of your sour beer sometime. So.
0: Yeah, I look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, when the when everything opens back up, definitely come over.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in Guangzhou a lot, so it's an easy ride over. Sounds good. All right, thanks All again. Right. Thanks, man. Take Bye. care. Bye.